This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show for your Friday. Good to be with you today, Matt and Patrick here today. Hi, Patrick. How are we? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well today. How are you? I, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's been a busy, busy week because I, uh, once again, uh, because we had the COVID scare, I couldn't go up to the cabin this last week and my mom was supposed to go up to the cabin on tuesday she was in town she was going to go on up so i ended up having to run around a lot with her and you know kind of got things a lot real busy i've been able to um uh kind of just calm down a little bit today but it's been a it's been a hectic week man how about you it's you know things going well you know are you just basically lamenting the twins stinking up the joint again (laughs) well no it was a little bit of that hectic week that you sort of mentioned so i was out of here the last couple days so wednesday i took my car in to have the brakes looked at, they said, after I'd been there already for a couple hours, they Ooh. said, hey, it's uh, going to be better off if you come back tomorrow. We'll have the parts we need to take care of this. So I spent the bel- the bulk of two afternoons sitting in the auto shop, which is never fun. No, it's in hours you will not get back in your life. But the real question here is, you work here and you can afford a car? <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> uh that's a that's I'm, I'm i'm wow wow things have changed since i was started off in radio i what do you mean i need to find an apartment within a few blocks of the station uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I do have an update. Oh, by the way, I, I do want to make sure I mention coming up a little bit later on this hour, Brian Fullman. He is a lead organizer with Isaiah. Uh, he's going to be joining us today. Big gear already for them because of the, the 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 renewing of the voting rights for a lot of people in the state of Minnesota. We'll talk to Brian about that coming up here this hour. Uh, 952-946-6205. So this is a story, I think, I don't know if you were here or it was Brett here. We covered this a little bit earlier about the people that were going to casinos with like TikTok and had someone watching while they played slots and were playing slots for them, which is wildly illegal to do, by the way. Before you think to yourself, you can make some money doing this. They, they, so, you know, do you remember this story? Were you here for that? I think this was Brett because I do not remember this So at all. the concept is this. is you. I, I'm guessing, do you remember Dave Osborne on Arrested Development? He was walking around as the advocate where he had a camera and a microphone and he was pretending to be George Sr. on all the meetings. It's kind of like that, that you walk into a casino with like, I guess, a camera and a microphone and it's like, Play this machine. Play this machine now. I'm going to play this machine. All right, double down. Okay. and But you're not doing it for someone locally. You're doing it for someplace where gambling might be illegal or someone who can't legally gamble or something like this. I think this is that story because it's finally starting to come to fruition. And a Dynaman and his brother were charged on Friday with roaming twins, roaming Twin Cities area casinos and playing slots for gamblers who paid to have their bets placed, then watched live on TikTok in their hopes of striking it rich. Blake Fitzgerald Forty was charged in Scott County District Court with three gross misdemeanors. He's alleged to have run a remote bookie business. I mean, technically, I guess that's the the way they get you on this one. Is that you're a bookie? Um, for at least four months until January, while at Mystic Lake in Prior Lake, 
or Treasure Island just outside of Red Wing in violation of a law that prohibits placing bets on behalf of someone else. State officials say they also detected Fitzgerald carrying out the same venture in a Detroit casino months earlier. Nicole Roddy, a spokesperson for the Minnesota Alcohol and Gambling Enforcement Division, uh, said earlier this year that the prior to the case, they have no other cases of this nature that reported to them. The American Gambling Association, which represents sports books and casinos across the country, also says it has never heard of such a gambling scheme. And I, I, I want to go back to one thing that happened when I've gone to Vegas. And, I, and it, just if you go, if I go to a casino, I like going to a sports book because you can sit there and watch every game. You generally don't need to gamble. You can if you want to. I just go there and sit and watch the game. But if you pull a phone out, they will they they you will be jump not jumped on but immediately security is and they're very polite they're saying i'm sorry sir you can't use your cell phone in the sports book because they don't want people placing bets for other people and so you just it's kind of one of those but you see that's that's part of the appealed for it for me is that i can put the phone away i don't i can't look at my phone i can just sit here enjoy every sporting event that's going on at any given time within the country and sit there and do it because they do not want people placing bets for people who are not there. Have you ever seen that, you know, before? I actually have not. Most of my uh sports uh the people who I watch sports with, they're not really a whole lot into the whole betting thing. We kind of joke about it for fun, but it, we're just not super deep into Some that. people, man, they just they'll, they'll bet on everything. Uh you know, and just and I I think that's a bad sign. Me personally, I I I mean, have I I mean, outside of like community pots or like fantasy football or the office pool, I've never done anything. I'm I'm not like rolled in and dropped a hundred on you know the the Dodgers are going to win tonight or something like that. You know? Yeah, I actually not to take this away too far from Port, but last night I made an observation that there were betting lines on the Vikings preseason game, and I'm like, and I commented on Twitter, I, I I said. <laughs> That is blind faith. You don't even know 80% of the people who are going to be playing in this game, and you're hoping they make you money. If you have to bet on a professional Juco game, man, dude, what are you doing? (laughs) Because that's all that is. It's a professional Juco game. Maybe these guys will eventually get to Division I football, but dear Lord. Hey, by the way, good to see the Vikings starting off with the old-fashioned there. It was all backup players, but still. Anyway, back to this story. At times, uh, his younger brother was involved as a moderator with the video hookups. Christopher, were you doing a play-by-play? Is this like the the Manning brothers? You're doing a play-by-play on the TikTok videos of your brother gambling in a casino for someone else. Wow. This world is going off the freaking rails. Can I just say this? This is is going off the rails. Uh, According to the criminal complaints and other court documents, Fitzgerald was collecting through cash apps an initial $5.99 subscription fee and then $25 that he keeps for every $100 deposited for wagering, which he streams live on the video sharing app TikTok. God, how did people figure this out, huh? How did people figure out your crime? Archive videos of the man's main TikTok account reveal 165,000 followers from around the world Video highlights show wads of cash being displayed in slot machines, rolling up occasional big jackpots, including one in December that topped 15000 More than 100 people sent roughly $65,000 to Fitzgerald for betting during a one-month-long stretch late last year. In the same period, he sent back them back about $27,700 in either gambling winnings or refunds if his time betting had run out. Administrators had at both casinos caught onto Fitzgerald's TikTok bookie business. 
On January 12th, he spoke over a live stream about being kicked out of Mystic Lake during a previous visit. That same day, he was in his car outside Treasure Island and said he had just been given a permanent trespass notice. The AGED caught on to the out-of-bounds enterprise thanks to tips from someone in Vegas and a woman who was the mother of a 16-year-old from Pennsylvania who caught wind of the TikTok boogie the night of January 11th just before her son sent money into gamble. 16 years old. There you go. You know, I, I've said this. I said this when we had poll tabs, electronic poll tabs, all these things. It's a slippery slope. Now, I personally, I'm going to just say this. I, I, you know, I don't have any problem with the Native America casinos because, I mean, that that's their that's their property. They operate outside of the realms of the federal government. So, I mean, they can do what they want because, well, frankly, they are owed a heck of a lot more than that. But at the same time. That's their territory. They want to do that. They're more than welcome to. That is what their right is. But when it comes to like the electronic pull tabs, you know, for the Viking Stadium or, or you know, when it comes to the idea of the sports betting where, no, we have to put it into Canterbury and running aces. You know, it's a slippery slope, man. In the sense being is that it just eventually it will get to the point where I think that within 20, 25 years, you will see video slot machines in every gas station. I think they'll be. I think they'll be every. It'll be like Europe. Have you ever been to Europe? Some of the countries in Europe. I have not been to Europe. Sadly, in, in some of the countries in Europe, every gas station, every fast food restaurant, there's every bar. There's there's video gaming machines in there. It is like that in Nevada here in the United States. <laughs> yes, too, it is like that in Nevada. Nevada is Nevada, man. Nevada is Nevada. Um, yeah, I I, I really do. You know, I don't have any problem. If the Native American casinos want to do it, they can do it. I just don't know if it's a good thing. And the reason why is this sort of thing, because I guarantee you right now, as we read the story, as this story is being reported, you think that this is a deterrent? Please. They're trying to figure out a way that they can do this where it's not. I mean, yeah, let's face it. These people, the stupid part of these people is they, they posted it. They posted the evidence of their crimes right on social media and acted like, gee, Willikers, how did they track us down? You know, you know, hey, Batman may Batman says you wrote down the your evil plan on this piece of paper, so hey, uh, you're going to jail. That's how it works. I don't even know why you would want to do this for someone else because let's say you win, you know, a like a five figure prize, like, oh, but that's John's five figure prize. That's not mine. I mean, that'd just be kind of like, well, why am I doing this again? Well, I can tell you, let me just run those numbers again. He in one month, he did this for four months apparently. In one month, he took in $65,000. He sent back $27,000 in either gambling winnings or refunds, which means uh, Matt's Math Corner takes a, a little dive here. A little less than $40,000. A little less than $40,000 that month alone in revenue as a bookie for gambling. Okay. No, so he he actually was doing pretty well for himself, well, even if yeah. he legal. Yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah, and he was making some money there. And, you know, I, I, great. I mean, I imagine he... I, you got 16-year-olds. I'm going to – what do you bet there, there's a 12-year-old out there that probably threw some money in there, you know, and, and stuff like this? Come on. And, and of course, you know, one of the things which is which is really amazing is there's there are some countries on the planet where gambling is really cultural. And but you know they, and and they love gambling. I mean, that, I was with the with the was it the Mega Millions was just up to you know, a billion dollars plus. There was estimated something like 
you know, a, a third of the tickets were bought were bought by people you know with surrogates here in the United States from other countries that were trying to buy this. I mean, it's just America. The people come here and they want to gamble and it's want to do these things. And you know, the reality is is that we we have laws that prevent people from sitting in their in their house in a foreign country and basically calling up some dude from a diner and saying, "I want you to run down to Mystic Lake and start playing the 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 Michael Jackson video poker machine." And, and and see how much coin we can make. I mean, that's there's a reason behind it. I will say, I mean, one thing about Vegas, which I th- I will say, we would walk through the casino when I was out there a year ago. I, I was there with the kids, and my son is 21. My my other two daughters that were under the age, and we would walk through the casinos, which no one has a problem with you doing. But if you stop and start watching the games, they do come over to you and say, I'm sorry, you can't, you know, are these kids overage? No, they're not. Well, like, you can't you can't stay here. They they do seem to have some, and I got to be careful there because, I mean, let's, I'm giving a lot of, <laughs> a lot, a lot of soft zone here. But yeah, in Vegas, they don't, I, I kind of get the impression that they, they do a, a kind of a little bit better job of this, but at the same time. It's gambling, man, and yeah, there as much as as much as we can criticize it, the reality is 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 there really? Unless I play fantasy football, I mean, and stuff like that, you know, the pick'em challenges, the the NCAA uh, Final Four bracket, you do that stuff. I think anything beyond that kind of starts getting destructive real fast. But that's just me, you know, in in regards to you know the desire to do these things. People, there's a lot of people that like doing them. So 952-946-6205, Let's take a break. I'll come back. We'll rehash a story or two when we get bored. And then one once again, coming up here in just a little bit from Isaiah, it's Brian Fullman's going to be joining us. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. So I want to re- reiterate what happened with Ricky Cobb. Ricky Cobb was uh, allegedly pulled over for his his you know lights not being on, but in the video footage it looks like his lights are on. Uh, his lights were not working. They said, but it looks like his lights were working. Um, he was pulled over for that. They found that he had a warrant out. They were trying to um, you know I guess you know he did not have a gun on him. Uh, the officers basically demanded him getting out of the vehicle. He's asking, "Why do I need to get out of the vehicle?" He's like, "Don't ask me questions. Get out of the vehicle. I'm the I'm the authority. I'm the god." You know, sort of mentality. I'm not going to answer you, even though you're asking a very reasonable question. We need you to get out of the vehicle. When he basically didn't answer them or get out of the vehicle, they opened the doors of the vehicle and started trying to yank him out of the vehicle. At that point, he put the car into drive. They shot him. The guy, the officer on the passenger side, put three bullets into his into his torso, and probably he was dead before he even got out. Uh, you know, uh, rolled down the road. The two officers did a barrel roll, got up. The other individual, the driver of the car, Ricky Cobb, was dead. I think there is nothing more disingenuous, frankly, than the video of them. Come on, Ricky. Stay with me now. Dude, don't do that. Don't do that. Keep breathing. You just killed him. You pull the trigger on your gun. You got to be expecting someone's dying. So for you to all of a sudden act like we're trying to save his life. No, you killed him. And that's just freaking window dressing. 
Let's just call it what it is. It's just window dressing. Come on, man. Stay with me. Yeah, he really wants to stay with the guys that just put three rounds into his chest. Good thinking, yeah. Come on, just disingenuous. Of course, the right likes to scream about what could have happened because the hypothetical, he could have, the car could have been made out of nuclear bombs and could have blown up and taken out the entire metro. Thank God they murdered him when they did. That's kind of the mentality. And I said this the first day we talked about Ricky Cobb is that the thing that makes me a little upset is that I kind of get the impression they shot him for convenience. They just didn't want to chase him down later. And so they shot him there. Said, you know what? <laughs> I, I already got my steps in today, so don't worry. And once again, reality. Two officers did a barrel roll. They got up, little scrape, little bruise. But, you know, trust me, Ricky Cobb got the worst side of this when you killed him. Period. End of story. And I've already said I don't think the officers will be held accountable. They'll they'll basically they'll they'll this will be considered a legit kill. That's just gonna be the way of it. But at the same time, there's a lot of problems with this this stop. And anyone who doesn't see that is just wanting police officers to kill black people. And that's that's kind of how I feel about it. If you don't see the mistakes that the officers made there, and then the, 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 come on, man, keep breathing. Don't make me, if you stop breathing, I'm going to shoot you again. I mean, I mean, they didn't say that. They didn't, but they, they were kind of screaming at him. I mean, you, you're the ones that, ugh, never mind, never mind. Anyway. There is this now, this mentality that unless you're out there saying this is the most righteous killing by a police officer in the history of mankind, that you're against the cops. Please. Please. No, there were mistakes made by those officers, undoubtedly. And by the way, we should note that as uh, Johnny Triggerfinger over there decided to put three rounds into Ricky Cobb, he was firing in the direction of his partner. Nice going, idiot. Anyway, that all being said, once again, there's this narrative that how dare we show any sympathy or empathy for the other side. Now, I know people are going to say, Matt, you're missing the point here because there's a story I'm about to read that you're missing the point. It's just about you know, the, the appearance of fairness. Can I just say this to all, all police departments? I have been in this town since you know, back in this town since 2020 i was born here lived here a good chunk of my life i moved back here in 2020 2020 2000 and i've been on this radio station for 13 and a half years i have seen i've watched the insanely disturbing um character assassination job that police departments do on their victims gangbanger druggy he was going to murder a million people. You guys don't care. You have to turn the victims of your trigger-happy policing into the, the worst villains of all time. And you do it with a plum. So please, before you start dictating about making sure people do not go out there and start, you know, looking like they're inappropriate, when you guys basically stop your character assassination machine that happens every time someone is killed by a police officer, well, anytime a black person or a Native American is killed by a police officer, they don't seem to do it nearly as much with the white guys. Let's just be honest about that. 
then maybe I'll give your complaint here a little bit more credence. But here you go. The Minneapolis Police and Peace Officers Association sent a letter to Governor Walls objecting to the governor's meeting with the family of Ricky Cobb. The man shot multiple times by a state patrol trooper after being pulled over on 94 North in Minneapolis. Walls met with Cobb's family on Wednesday. About a week after Cobb's death, Cobb's family and Walls haven't shared information about what they discussed in the private meeting. But uh, Airman Ali, general counsel for the MPPAO, sent a letter to Walls stating that their concern the meeting created a conflict of interest since Walls oversees the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension which is investigating the incident and the Department of Public Safety, which encompasses the state patrol. While we understand the family is grieving his death, there are legitimate concerns regarding her involvement and now a relationship and affiliation that could affect the fair and impartial investigation and potential legal challenges deciding in the incident. Wait a second here. You always say your your officers are empirical, that they that there is no that they, they don't make harsh rash decisions that they they are they're thoughtful now all of a sudden you're saying well it's because governor walls said something here now all of a sudden they're going to let him go come on body cam footage of the incident shows Cobb repeatedly asking a trooper why he need to get out of the car when the troopers tried to remove him from the vehicle he moved his arm in the direction of the gear shift trooper on the passenger side shot him multiple times in the abdomen Cobb drove off he later died Cobb's family last week called on state patrol to fire the three troopers they said should be charged. They're not going to be fired. Um, They're not going to be commended because they made a lot of mistakes there, but they're not going to be fired. They'll still have their jobs. And once again, the way the state law is written, it's the I was scared defense. As long as an officer goes into a courtroom saying, I was scared, they can basically do everything they want to. They can murder anyone they want to. The MPPAO, which is the state's largest police group, said its letter that the meeting between Walls and Cobb family was private. Walls could have made unknown assurances and determined the rule of law, rights of law enforcement officers, blah, 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 blah. A spokesperson for Walls did not immediately return a request. Um, the MPPAO letter made no mention of whether BCA officials face their own conflict of interest, given that they're investigating an incident involving their fellow employee with the Department of Public Safety. See? Conflict of interest, MPPOA. I said AO. MPPOA. It, 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 what's good for the goose? How is it? How can we trust this is going to be a fair investigation? See, and here's where you catch them on the little bit of problem. On one side, they're saying, Governor Walls met with a family. Now there's going to be pressure on these people to basically cave to his will. Meanwhile, the same organization that's investigating their own. Uh, fellow employees, when you bring that up, so, hey, how dare you question the integrity of our investigators? Of course they can be fair and impartial. You can't have it both ways there, MPPOA. You can't have it both ways. Either the investigators are fair and empirical and that there, there's no problem. There's not going to be any influence by walls or the fact that they're, they're, they're investigating their fellow employees. Or we should have a separate non, you know, maybe a federal government in review of this shooting that is out of your hands. And I guarantee you if you put that forward to them, that they'll basically, oh, no, no, I didn't say that. I don't think that's necessary. Uh, Christopher Medell, this is out of the Star Tribune, Tribune version of the story, called those private meetings troubling and inappropriate. Impartial prosecutors are critical. And this is also talking about Mary Moriarty meeting with the family. 
Impartial prosecutors are critical of the public's confidence in charging decisions following the rule of law. Pardon me a quick second. <laughs> Freeman and Jaleel Stallings. Once again, Freeman and Jaleel Stallings. Just stop, man. Impartial prosecutors, you guys went up there and said, well, you don't need to see the... At the best case scenario for Freeman was you guys going up there and ensuring him he, he and his staff didn't need to see the body cam footage, which showed that your entire story was a whole bunch of freaking lies. Please. Um... In his memo to the Hennepin County Attorney's Office, Medell says he remains confident the prosecutors conduct an impartial review with the evidence they will conclude that the officer acted not only properly, but heroically. Oh, please. Come on, man. You're going to survive the bullets I just put into you. You're going to. Come on, man. Keep breathing. Disingenuous is the best term I could use for it. A few other words that come to mind, but no. You can't have it both ways. You can't sit there and say, well, the prior prosecutors are going to conduct an impartial review, but nobody else should ever talk to, to, to any of the family because that could influence the, the review process. What is it? It's one or the other. You can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't put your officers... You can't put your fingers on one side of the scale and push down, and when the other side tries to, doesn't even try to put it on there, but just goes out there and tries to console the family that, that who's lost someone due to a police officer's gun, say, you, you can't push back down on that other side. So what is it? Are the investigators impartial and going to be able to do their job regardless of what Moriarty or Walls do? Or... Should they basically be called in, we call in a different organization and have them do the review away from these officers and the MPPOA? I'll, let him, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for you to get back to us on that one. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. When we come on back, Brian Fullman's going to join us from Isaiah, Minnesota. We'll talk to him in just a moment. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Isaiah, Minnesota is a multiracial statewide nonpartisan coalition of faith communities fighting for racial and economic justice in Minnesota. Joining us right now is Brian Fullman. He's a lead organizer and barbershop and black congregation cooperative. Uh, in his, that's his specialty there. He's kind enough to join us today to talk about some of the, the positives we've had in regards to voting rights here in Minnesota in this last legislative cycle. Brian, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you, Matt. My absolute pleasure. First of all, why don't you take some time and explain to everyone out there a little bit better than I did exactly what is Isaiah, Minnesota? Yeah, so Isaiah is a nonprofit organization. It's a faith-based nonprofit organization and our theory of change is grassroots organizing so we want to make sure that we are filling in the disparity gaps and inequities that a lot of us in the state of minnesota are faced with day to day so we do that by building out relationships within the communities and then we all leverage those relationships with each other in the political arena to get better policy to fit the equities to fit the inequities that we see every day in the community so we do that across statewide we are everything from churches mocks barbershops child care centers small businesses you name it uh we organize but our bread and butter is the congregations 
And so since the origin of Isaiah, we have organized churches uh, across the state of Minnesota for 20 plus years. God bless on that. So, I mean, one of the things that's really interesting here is that, you know, I mean, having followed politics for many years, you know, it's kind of like you're laying tile in the bathroom. There's always these cracks and gaps that are there and they have existed, exist. And frankly, they've existed for the minority communities uh, and the lesser represented communities on a much larger scale here. Has Isaiah had a lot of success being able to fill in those gaps considering they are wide and pretty persistent? We have been very successful in organizing and filling in those gaps. I think the uh, the democracy work that we're doing is a perfect example of that. Uh, I, you know, I first want to say, though, uh, that it was so many people who organized around making sure that all of our voices are being heard, whether you have been formerly incarcerated or not. They've been doing this work for 20 years, but we have always stood in the gap. Uh, uh, when you're talking about the, 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 the struggles and the inequities and oppression that a lot of our minority communities are faced with. So, uh, again, restore the vote of early voter registration are some of the ways that we've done some real structural change uh, to, to, to kind of close and fill in that gap. I, I do want to ask a little bit about your specialty here because you're a lead organizer focusing on barbershops and black congregations. It's interesting how Isaiah has broken down this outreach program because it really has gotten into the 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 heart of the the communities that are misrepresented or underrepresented, I should say. And 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 you know, I imagine for you, it's it's a great way for you to get into these these organizations that might not have that say and give them that say through through the barbershops and the black congregations. Yes. So it's a platform. I was a barber for 18 years and I understood that uh, a lot of the uh, how should I put it? a lot of the freedom that people would feel while they were in the barbershop. They felt a sense of safety. Uh, they was able to imagine what was possible for them inside of the barbershops amount, amongst their own peers uh, and, and community. But I would also notice when people would leave those barbershops, they would kind of back like hunker back down, almost, you can almost see how the demeanors would change. Like, okay, it's time to go back to business. It's time to go back to work and keep my head down. So I knew it was a very, very important and powerful platform to begin organizing from. When I got hired in Isaiah, and I volunteered for three years with Isaiah before I got hired, they were already organizing, you know, black churches, white churches, uh, Latino brothers and sisters, congregations. So that was already in the fix. What I wanted to do was actually add some flavor and a constituency-based uh, program to Isaiah. And the one thing about us as Isaiah, and the reason why we've had so many breakthroughs, is that we get space to learn. We get space to make mistakes. It's embraced. Uh, and we learn. So it's just a different culture around, you know, a right to learning and a right to make mistakes with a lot of our brothers and sisters who've been disenfranchised. Don't get it. They don't. That's not how they look at making mistakes. It's, it's usually punitive when they make mistakes. So it's a different kind of culture in Isaiah that actually gives me as the organizer the confidence to go out and take risks and find out what are some things that people need. And it actually allows me now to pass those teachings on to brothers and sisters who are in those barbershops so they can start to imagine themselves uh, at the center of the community and leading in the community in a positive and productive way. So, and it was interesting because earlier this week, I, I got a chance to talk with uh, the uh, the NA um, uh, CDI about Native American voting, uh, the, the restoring of voting rights for felons in the state of Minnesota. And one of the things which it became very clear as I was having this conversation is this was a way by, by restricting this that people that might have gone to jail, served their time, been released, 
preventing them from being able to vote was a way for people to manipulate the voting cycle, particularly to discriminate against minority populations and prevent them from voting mass, considering the unfair level of incarceration for minority populations. And and this, you know when you're talking about fifty five thousand people just got that back their right to vote, I mean that really was a substantial part of that was the minority communities who were frankly underrepresented when it comes to the ballot box. Yes, and so uh, yes, so it's both. Uh, so it, look, it's true that there's disproportionate numbers when it comes to the minority communities in the state of Minnesota who are incarcerated. But a lot of that 55,002 are people who live and reside in greater Minnesota. Uh, a lot of my white brothers and sisters are part of that group. What's really important, though, is that this state has made a declaration that all of us need to be included. That, you know, nobody, when you've done your time, when you get out of jail, if we're saying that you are now welcome to society, then we need to act in what we're saying. The number two thing, the reason why it's so impactful, too, is that it actually you can look at, there's been some studies in other states around recidivism. When mm-hmm. people yeah. are civically engaged and they're part of, like, constructive community leadership, it actually brings down the percentage of recidivism. People start to see society as their own, and they're ready to own it. The third thing that's really important, it kind of dismantles the misinformation that's out there. There's a lot of brothers and sisters, such as me, Matt, who made some mistakes early in my life, was incarcerated, and I thought for the next 10 years that I wasn't able to vote because of this mistake. And it wasn't until I actually moved up to Minnesota to understand that I could have been voted 10 years ago. So it's just it was a very, very impactful uh, structural change. And on top of that, when you talk about 16, 17 years old, being, being able to you know, register to vote, how do you actually get them in the practice of utilizing their voices in society? It's just, you know, it's transformative. So, yes. Absolutely. And when you when we look at the 55,000 are now re, get, re, have got their voting rights back again, I'm going to presume that a stunning amount of them because of this, that civic ability to engage in the process, that there is going to be a pretty large turnout with that group when it comes to elections. Because as you said, I think when you engage, when you, when, you know, people make mistakes, but when they are welcomed back in within the community and they're allowed to be part of the community and have a say in the community, that's, that's, that's the path to, to complete recovery on that. Right. Absolutely. I mean, your, your imagination starts to soar. If you get out of jail, you've done your time, and you are working, you're a productive citizen, but you still can't utilize your voice. And a lot of our brothers and sisters that are in jail are very informed politically. So, so when you get out, you mean to tell me I can't utilize my voice, then how can they actually see society as their own? It's kind of hard. It's, 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 it's a contradiction. So this actually allows people to think about, like, man, what can I do now as, as I can utilize my voice? I've, had, I've got my own set of experiences that I actually want to express. There's some things I want to speak up for. There's some things I want my neighbors to know about my experience and then see if they actually share the same experiences and if they want to go and build partnerships with legislators or people who represent them and their interests. All of these different things start to hatch out when people, when society says you are included and we value you and we see you and we're going to encourage you to use your voice. So it's always a productive thing and I'm just so appreciative to be part of that process on the other one of the other major issues with voting the the pre-registration of 16 and 17 year olds you talk about building up enthusiasm about this you know i i've got i've got generation zers at my house and they are all 
you know, chomping at the bit to vote. You know, now that two of them can, the third one's going to be already wanting, can't wait for their time to do so. Having the pre-registration to vote. So the 16 and 17 year olds will be already registered to vote in the state of Minnesota. That's another great way to A, make sure everyone's represented, but as B, build up that excitement about you're going to be able to participate in the process. As, look, the youth are our future. We've heard this in songs. We've heard people say this forever. It is true. And the one thing we have to do is invest in our youth. And another thing we have to do is make it very legible that we value our youth. And what better practice to actually start enrolling our youth in and to actually submitting a vote in their answers using their voices. It is critical. And when I'm thinking about it, too, I'm not just thinking, I'm thinking about all of our children. But I am also, too, very passionate about children who've been told they don't have a voice. Children who have been taught through narrative and messaging that their voices just don't matter because their community is disenfranchised. So they don't even, I didn't have a political imagination until I was almost 40 years old. So this is another step. It's not the answer to all of these inequities and disparities, but it is a nice, it's a very solid step towards letting our youth know we care about you, we see you, we value you, and we know you are the future leaders. So you know what? It's time to get into rhythm. Make sure you register. Make sure you're voting. And then, pull, and then start practicing and getting the sophomores and freshmen ready to be able to take the same practice. That's how you build a multiracial, thriving democracy in the state of Minnesota and ultimately the country. Brian Fullman joining us from Isaiah, talking about the, the, the restoring of voting rights and encouraging more voting in this country. Let's also just, if I can, for you, looking at the slate of things that got passed, which was truly remarkable. The DFL really kind of delivered on a lot of levels uh, in this spring here. What are one or two, two of the other ones that you just say to yourself, you know, this is going to, it, it, this is going to do a lot of good across the state of Minnesota. Oh man. Paid family medical leave. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yep. Right. If you're working hard, you should have some security as somebody who works every day. You deserve that. It's actually your right to. So that was very transformative. And I can actually connect that to just people who are voting. We want stability for people. We want people to understand when you get sick, when you have bereavement, when you need to take care of your family, we got you. We're going to make sure that you're financially stable to be able to take care of yourself and your family. That says a lot as the state of Minnesota. And I also think like the, 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 the bills that we passed around climate, like this is really important making sure that we have somewhere for our kids. I have a grandchild. I just had a grandchild two years ago. And, and I'm looking at this, this boy, and I'm saying, man, we have to leave this world in a better place. And if we do not start activating ourselves around that, it won't be a better place. But because these bills have, have passed in the state of Minnesota, it's not just good for Minnesota. It's an example to the rest of the country. That progressive movement is here. We're thinking about everybody who lives in the state of Minnesota, and we're going to deliver on that. So those are two bills that I thought were really transformative and opens up more for an imagination about what we can do, you know, moving down the line with these bills already passing into law. Then on the other side of that, let's talk about one thing that you want that hasn't been addressed yet that you say, you know what, you guys need to get this done. Uh, I think we've done a lot around criminal justice reform, yeah. but I want to see some departments that are really established and developed to actually start to concentrate on gun violence that really specifically are concentrating on gun violence uh, so we can 
we, we have to dismantle this kind of activity. But I think, it's, again, it's going to take all of us, and it's going to take the department that has the, the funding and the resources to be able to start addressing this issue. And it's showing up in different ways in, in geographically throughout the state. And so I think if we can I, – I, there was some traction around it, but we got some more work to do moving forward around the gun violence that is happening across the state and making sure that we have a clear department that can oversee – uh, the activities and operations and, uh, you know, dismantling that kind of activity. That's well, what I want to see. And I have been one of the people that have said that I, I really want, I think that the people that are selling the guns illegally, if you all of a sudden put out some harsher penalties for those people that are the ones that are buying them, generally buying them in outstate, rural parts of the state, and then bringing them in and, and selling them in the cities where they're, they're being used for these violent activities. If you started putting much more harsher penalties on the people who are supplying the guns, I guarantee you're going to start drying up the supply real fast. That's right. And I believe there's already been some movement around that from Attorney General. Uh, Keith Ellison has already started to have some traction around that. But yep. you're absolutely right. How do we stop it from just pouring into our communities and our neighborhoods? And at the same time, how are we educating our communities about guns and the responsibility you got to have when it comes to guns, right? Like, how can you do, how can we have... Uh, conflict resolution where it doesn't have to go to the extremities of like using your gun so there's a lot of different organizing paths and strategies and layers that we have to unpack when it comes to this kind of issue but you're absolutely right one of the major steps that has to happen is the flooding of these weapons in our community you know just constantly consistently over the years so we can catch them we can catch these wholesalers and the way they're setting up these gun shops Yep. <laughs> these these kind of gun shows, I'm sorry, these gun shows, if we can actually start to like slow down that activity, that takes a big chunk of the issue away from us. Yeah, People are making money off gun violence, and that is, that's, that's where right. they, you have to make that stop. Brian Fullman, lead organizer with Barbershops, Black Congregations over at Isaiah. Brian, anytime you want to come back, my friend, you are yeah. more than welcome back on my show. This is fantastic. Well, I appreciate you, and I definitely want to come back, so we'll set it up. All right, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Brian Fullman with Isaiah, kind enough to join us today. We'll take a break. I'm going to unpack one or two things he said when I come back. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Vacuum cleaners. You buy them, you break them, and then you throw them away, right? Well, if you're ready to break out of that vicious cycle, we have the answer. Ever heard of A1 Vacuum? AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. And don't fool yourself. And, 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 and first of all, Brian was fantastic. Gosh, I, I, yeah, easy conversations. I, like, I love them when I get easy interviews. Uh, great stuff, great information, and great points across the board. The, um, you know, I, and, I, and I, I 100% correct. The 55,000 felons who just had their voting rights restored in the state of Minnesota, the the thing that, that that's across the state, that's, you know, people up in Ward, it's people down in Albert Lee, it's all across the state, and that's fantastic. But it is, it's clear to me, considering especially the disproportionate amount of minority communities that are, in, you know, in jail, incarcerated, and make up the felon roles that this was, and this is still going on in a lot of states, a way for the white population to basically, you know, get rid of of minority votes, which generally do not go their way. And so it 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 I, I think that that is yeah. 
I'm glad we're we're not shy from dealing with that. And you know, it, if you notice that Republicans basically there's nowhere for them to go on that issue. Well, we don't want them to be able to vote. That that's voting is a right, and if you you know, it it it's a very hard thing to do. It's good. you're not going to be able to get that passed. By sitting there and saying, "Oh well, yeah, you know, we, we we're going to reinstall this ban." I, I, it's it's going to clearly show that you know that you know who they are, and I think that these are should be questions. Now, by the way, I should mention this when it comes to asking Republican questions when they're getting into an election season. <laughs> you can't trust them. They all say they're all for abortion rights now. Bull crud. Bull. They are not. Anyway. The other thing which he said when he talked about uh, paid family leave and sick pay and the, the, how huge that is. All right. So this last weekend, the last weekend that I had uh, going around, I went to a restaurant. I'm not going to say where. I'm not going to say which one. But I went to a restaurant. I am there waiting in line to, to get food. And it was clear one of the three people that were working the counter was not well, not well at all. Ashen, waxy looking. Um, she was not doing well. And the place I was at, it took a little time to get through the line. And there was clearly, a, there was this person who was managing that area who was trying to get their bosses to authorize her to go home. And quite literally, they were ignoring her. And, you know, she is saying, this person is very sick. They need to go home. And nothing was being said. So she basically yelled it across the restaurant, (laughs) right in front of all the customers, to which one of the managers comes over. Hey, you're really not feeling, you're not feeling well. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Oh, of course you can go home. Uh, well played. Well played. I want to give that person a round of applause because that was well played. Because, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to, you're going to, you know, fire the manager of that person basically, you know, was calling you out on this? You know, I think it is. You are a fool if you think when Republicans sit there and say, you don't need to do this. If you're sick, you could just stay home. That's Republicans. Republicans know that those same managers are like, well, I don't care if you're sick. You got to get in here or else you're fired. And they have no problem with that. And so it's it's always the the the, the business rights over the employees' rights, and we have changed that. And frankly, I think we all can agree if someone is sick, I don't want them necessarily touching the food. I'm good with the person taking the day. And yeah, if you have a sign out there that says, you know what? We're short staffed today. We had someone get sick. Please be patient. No problem. As a matter of fact, I'll respect you a lot more by saying, you know what? It's going to be a little bit longer, but we're short staffed. No problem. I'll wait my time. But come on, man. Yeah, it's... This sick leave thing, it's its its going to be a much better benefit to a lot of people out there. Hour two, that's coming up next. 
Hour number two of the show here on your Friday. Good to be with you, Matt and Patrick here. Got some music coming up a little bit later on. Why not? Why not? I could actually go for some nice music here. What's the, Patrick, what's the fastest you've ever driven a car? Fastest. 105 miles per hour. It was on rural I-25 in Wyoming, kind of. I think it was before Casper. It kind of bends to the west as you're going north. I think it was going toward Casper. What states, because is that one of those roads out there that has no speed limit on it? No, the speed limit is 80. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I can do some quick math here. Uh, you were 25 miles over the speed limit then, huh? Yes, I was. Oh, wow. Uh, but I'm presuming you can see a trooper 20 miles away there, so... Actually, not in that part of the, because you're kind of in the, in kind of the foothills. And so they're not tall hills, but they're, you know, kind of those, you know, kind of low rising. Yeah. It was actually, that was why I only, I just kind of wanted to do it to say I did it, but I'm, you know, I'm looking around. This would look like a perfect place that you would never see a trooper until you're right on top of that crossover. Uh, so I was, you know, eh, I'm not going to do this for very long. Risky. There are some states, some of the states out there do have no speed limit on some of those roads. And basically that because they, you know, they, and the reason why is they can't, they can't patrol them. They're just too wide. There's not enough money. So they basically just will lift it and just be careful. I think the most uh, notorious example of what you're describing was in Montana. And yeah. actually they ended up having to put speed limits in because, Did they? yeah, they were sued because what is reasonable and prudent. And I think there were questions over what does that mean? Um, is that too much judgment for an officer to take into account, you know, based on the, you know, the, the, the weather conditions, road conditions, traffic, all that stuff. So that went to court and the court said, this is too vague. This can't, you know, we can't have this. So they did put hard limits on. Yeah, it, 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 well, and so what, do you know what it is? Is it 85, 90? Is it, it in Montana? I believe it's 80 is, 80, the, is, is the top, is the top speed, which probably you're going to go 90. Uh, I, I've, I've talked about this before. Uh, years ago, my mom let me draw her, drive her Audi. I was way too young to do this. I was up on 33 between cloquet and 53, and I opened that sucker on up, man. And well, I should say this I actually drove, um, a, a an escort over not not a, a lady of the evening by any means hello there <laughs> no but a a, a Ford Escort uh, I, I drove one on the autobahn and I think we got that up to like 125 which was insane that was over in Germany and you're saying to yourself like, I can't believe this car is going that fast and of course as you're doing this you get these guys driving these Italian things coming past you and making you look like you're standing still just you can see them coming and it's like ugh. I didn't believe. But, I mean, in the United States, that's the fastest I've ever driven. We have a bit of a speed problem, though, in the metro. I've even noticed I do it, too. I, you know, it was, I used to be, okay, if the speed limit was 60, I do 68, maybe 70 miles an hour. I'm noticing a lot more. I'm at 72, 73 miles an hour. I, and I, I know I need to stop. I'll try to get better on that. But I, I'm going to let you know, it's not like I'm the fast one. I'm, you know, getting past left and right at that point still. It's kind of how it goes. Most of us find ourselves in a hurry every once in a while, getting busted for doing 152 miles an hour. A driver in Eden Prairie tops the list of drivers ticketed during statewide speeding crackdown July 1st to 31st. 
Officers from 291 participating departments wrote a total of 20,657 tickets for speeding during this uh, saturation with a significant number of drivers being charged with other offenses ranging from DWI to fleeing the police. By the way, uh, just uh, you know, a quick side note here. If we apply the the hypothetical situation you know, scenarios to that they use to justify shooting Ricky Cobb to, I don't know, someone doing 152, which if they would have hit someone with that car, you could have hit a school bus, and I guarantee you you're killing everyone on that school bus at 152. Funny, I didn't hear about the police officers uh, pulling the gun on that guy. I didn't, re- I didn't uh, hear about that, uh, about them. someone saying, you know, he could kill somebody, hypotheticals. I'm afraid he's saying, so it tells me, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, well, I think we all know something about the guy that was caught doing 152. There have been wild drivers, even when I was a teenager. I will say this, though. The, um, it, this doesn't surprise me that, that that's going on, but 152, I mean, you know, when I was in the, when I was in the military, the, the, you know, they would have those accidents out on the Autobahn and stuff like that. And you just see a car 200 yards off the road wrapped around a tree three times. I mean, it's just you, you, the, the idea how fast it must have been going to get to that point. Ugh. You're going to get someone killed. That's for sure. There has always been wild drivers. Even when I was a teenager, there was wild drivers. But COVID kind of escalated. It said Pete Hosmer who's owned A-plus driving school in the Twin City suburbs for nearly three decades. All of a sudden, all these cars are back on the roads. People haven't allotted enough time to get where they're going. Among those tickets were 47 written for motorists exceeding 100 miles an hour. I want to make sure we understand this. As you, you when, when, as people talk about what's what's dangerous here, and, hey, there were some, there were some kids in Minneapolis with some fireworks. In Minnesota, in the month of July, there were 47 people, 47 people who were caught, caught driving 100 miles an hour or faster. How many more were out there? So before you try to come to me and say, the biggest problem we have is kids in Minneapolis with fireworks, uh, I can tell you a much bigger problem and a much more dangerous problem than that. So 152, that was the Eden Prairie Police Department. 140, Minnesota State Patrol, District 2400. That's East Metro. I'm going to guess 694, maybe? Because, I mean, a lot, if you're in the metro area, how many? I mean, it can't be side streets. There's just too many of them with stop signs and, and traffic lights. You wouldn't be able to get that speed up that fast. Yeah, there's also that section of 494 when you get out past the airport that I, it's kind of oh, like a drag strip. Oh, yeah, when you too. go down the hill, down to the river valley, yeah. and then back up the other side, Yeah, right before you hit... Uh, uh, 35E. Yeah, that's not a bad point. I would say maybe over by the <clears throat> Wakoda Bridge. Sorry, I got to do it. Uh, the Wakoda Bridge over that area. They can get kind of get speedy over there too. Uh, the St. Francis Police Department had uh, some, not in a small town. <laughs> what are you talking about? Nothing like that happens in a small town. Uh, 130 there. 130 in Winona County Sheriff's Office, the Anoka County Sheriff's Office. That got a 118. There are stories that go along with a list of speeds. For instance, a police in Wadena cited a father and son for racing each other. Oh, dear Lord. Racing each other, driving 72 miles an hour in a 45 zone. Great. Crystal Police pulled over a driver doing 112, then arrested the person for DWI when they registered a .25, more than three times the legal limit on the breathalyzer. Wow. 
person busted doing 152 in Eden Prairie was also charged with fleeing police and their vehicle was forfeited. Minnesota Department of Safety says speed is a major contributing factor to fatal and life-changing crashes. Preliminary numbers indicate speed played a role in 63 crash, fatal crashes so far in 2023 and 129 road deaths in 2022. How many uh, how many people died of fireworks uh, by kids in Minneapolis in the last year? I think the number is zero. Zero. Zero, you say, because I know uh, 129 people that died just of speed on the roadways alone. But you know what? No Republican's going to care about that because, hey, it's pretty much white people doing that. And, uh, yeah, they can't uh, make political hay out of that. Minnesota's Department of Public Safety. I mean, by the way, I mean, I'm presuming every one of these people that's over 100, you are arresting them. At that point, I mean that. At that point, it's it's you are they're going so fast that they are a danger to society. You are arresting these people, right? Nine five two nine four six six two zero five nine five two nine four six six two zero five. All right, I'm done with I'm I'm done with it. Hey, I I got to go back to to something from yesterday. Remember yesterday I was uh, I was talking about well you weren't here Patrick but I was talking about. If you didn't see it, Minnesota, Minneapolis, St. Paul has the lowest inflation rate in the nation, 1% inflation, which is actually below the cost of living. I mean, that's actually insanely low. Uh, For the past year, as expenses from housing, food, and gas utilities have cooled quickly here in the nationwide, a lot of it has to do with the housing market uh, that there's there's, and and how that's changing. Dairy products were down 8%. But someone told me, uh, a farmer that I know, I asked him, I said, you know, it, what, what's going on here with the, the dairy? He said, they, you know, he said the, the people that produce the product, not the farmers, but the corporations that, you know, collect the farmer's product and then go and make the money off of it, whether that's eggs or dairy or something like this. Well, they basically started doing damage to their own product because of their greed because it wasn't inflation. You can't, it, it's not inflation when the company is reporting record profit margins. With, if their profit margins are off the charts, it's not inflation, that's greed. And that was most of what was happening. It wasn't inflation. It was corporations saying, how dare you give money to the American people and not give it to us? We're going to jack up our prices. But in the case of dairy and, and eggs and stuff, apparently they damaged the market so much that the prices are coming down. Because people just, okay, well, fine, I don't need dairy. And now it's like, hey, you remember when you loved cheese? Please love cheese again. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. We'll never, we'll never give up our love of cheese in this country. So I put this out there. And, of course, I put out the statement, how long before Republicans start screaming, <laughs> Minnesota has any positive news? And Republicans their first and natural instinct is to basically say, it's not because I would go against the narrative. I want to believe that Minnesota is a hellscape because the DFL is in charge. And if it's not a hellscape, then I'm completely wrong. So I'm just going to deny the reality of the existence. Ah!" Yeah, that sort of thing. (laughs) Or something like that. I don't know. And lo and behold... Thank you, Republicans, for once again proving that I was right. You know, I sometimes wonder, but you guys, you deliver. You deliver. I can't tell you how many clown cars I've had. One guy, 
One guy insisted inflation raised prices 30-40%. What is this? 1980 Russia? D- dude, no, it did not raise inflation 30 to 40%. Fine, Matt. Fine. Well, after the Democrats raised inflation prices 30-40%, you get one, one, you know, percent off. Stop acting like it's good. It's horrible. <laughs> How are you guys functioning in this society? Well, I know you're not. You're down in your mom and dad's basement saying, I'll come up for my Hot Pocket in a second. Oh, Hot Pockets. Oh, I love those. Anyway, but you're sitting in your mom and dad's basement acting like I'm a big, important person in the technology world. I know all about this stuff. And you're just, you know, just you're, you're losers. That's what it is. And the sad thing is, and I've said this before, and I have said this before. You're losers because you are choosing to live in a state that you clearly hate. And I got news for you. Maybe the House goes back to the the Republicans. Maybe the Senate. But I highly doubt the Republicans. Right now, the Republicans aren't changing their platform in any capacity. And how in the hell you think that when you have the howler monkeys that are part of the Republican Party that are out there screaming, you know, about, about you know, we're going to make abortion illegal and we're going to make tra- drag shows illegal and all these things. How you think you're going to resonate in the Twin Cities metro area, Duluth, Rochester, St. Cloud, Moorhead and, and Mankato and, and win? I don't know. That's just not going to happen. So I don't know why you're here. You know, you should leave because you will be happier. Go find the place you want to be. Go be happier. You'll be happier. Trust us. We'll be happier that you're not this bitter, angry person is no longer part of our state. Bye-bye. Good luck. All our best. Bon voyage. But yet you still stay here. And all you can do is that when I put out something that is positive, you just have to... And I'm I'm quoting that exactly. I'm not sure which representative or senator said that, but it was something from that that narrative. The reality, though, is this: is that it today, as as I was walking my dog, this has hit me of how really dangerous and how extreme this has gotten. Because we are past the point of a cult, and I think we're getting on the verge of this attempt at mob rule. And it's not a mob. I mean, the, the, the far-right loon balls are probably maybe 25% of the population. But they're convinced everyone's on their side, and it doesn't mean that when 25% of the population tries to overthrow the rest of us because Trump, that there's not going to be a lot of people that are going to get hurt and killed. But there has to be a course correction in this country, especially on the right, because if I just put out a stat, which is just numbers— Inflation just grew 1% in the Twin Cities. And you cannot basically allow that stat to exist. It tells me about a lot deeper, and plus a few other stories, which shed a lot of light on where the Republican Party is going. I'm going to get to that here in a second. Patrick, you do have, uh, apparently there is a weather alert out there, correct? Yes, we do have a severe thunderstorm warning for northern Hennepin County and southern Anoka County. That's until 5 o'clock. That's northern Hennepin County and southern Anoka County. Well, and and, and we have a, a severe thunderstorm warning for where we're at now, but this is for this is for later today. They're saying we're going to get some rain about 6, 7 o'clock tonight. All right, that's not good. Well, yeah, I can see the storms coming through. So watch out, northern Hennepin County. 
Uh, yeah, that could be, uh, you know, Brooklyn Park, uh, Champlin, Maple Grove, Rogers, Ramsey, Coon Rapids, Andover, Blaine. Keep an eye on that stuff, all right? Hopefully nothing too bad heads your way. 952-946-6205. Patrick, keep me up to date if anything else comes on in, okay? Uh, drive safe out there. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil show. So once again, I want to, I want to step back here because we have to look at all this as a whole. It is so complete that Republicans have decided that the alternative reality is the one that they want to live in. And that, I mean, and I, and I, and I, how many times have I done it in the last year when 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 Republic actually not the last full year, but last like seven months where basically Republicans, you know, were this is a hellscape ghost town war zone. Ah! No one wants to be in Minnesota. And all of a sudden you say Minnesota's the healthiest state in the nation. No, it's not. Minnesota's got the lowest inflation rate. No, it doesn't. Minnesota's got the lowest unemployment rate. No, it doesn't. They just they have nothing else. They just basically have to scream into the wind as loud as they can to try to basically, that's the only counterpoint they have. And that's what they're doing. They're trying to formulate a counterpoint, not with facts and numbers, but by just howling like Gollum and hoping that they're annoying enough that you walk away and then they'll claim they win. And that's it. And by the way, that's why you do not just allow them to go carp lunch. You need to, you need to, you know, you know, Stomp these clowns. I mean, in, in regards to their their talking points, because they, they, if you know, this is how we got 2016 by basically we'll just ignore them and they'll go away. No, they won't, because they're determined to basically be right. This is beyond though just Minnesota. Um, I, I want to bring up yeah uh, kind of the way that things have gone I'll give you a great example Hunter Biden if you talk to a Republican Hunter Biden is somehow a cross between a vampire Hitler you know hell's angel serial murderer you know bond villain person he's not but they think this and nothing will ever change their mind on this. What's hilarious is to watch what's going on in Washington, D.C. right now, where these Republicans can no longer just do talking points, cannot just do the safety of Fox News. They actually have to go into a House hearing room, a committee hearing room, and present their so-called evidence that something is going on and the thing which is funny is it, it, they wish they could just do it with the Republicans there, but the Democrats are there and a lot of them are pretty good lawyers and they have just inviscerated their entire argument. Um, there was initially, and, and 
Now, Hunter Biden is in trouble for this tax evasion and carrying the gun on the airplane uh, into the airport. Those are two things which are separate. We're talking about this whole Burisma thing that he was there to shake down the Ukrainian government on behalf of Joe Biden, that he was shaking down the Chinese government on behalf of Joe Biden and all these things, that there was this somehow mastermind conspiracy, which, by the way, sounds exactly like what the Trump family actually did, by the way. And I'll get back to that here in a second. But, I mean, a lot of this hinges on one document, which, like Republicans do, they've run with it and they've turned it into something it isn't. So, apparently, at some point, some guy walks in and makes a statement that Hunter Biden was trying to shake down someone in Ukraine. That's it. It was, they tried to follow up with the individual um, no one corroborated his story. So there was no other. This is just one guy who randomly came in and it is believed that the person who made the statement was not who they said they were and they have not been seen since. So it's, it's basically, you know, the, the you know, like a flat earther stops by like, the earth is flat. I'm leaving now. It doesn't give their real name or anything like that. But this is in, in regards to flat earth. It's actually accusations against Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. Once again, uh, they followed up on it. They couldn't find the guy. There was no other corroborating evidence. It just was one statement. But the the Republicans have Comer and, and the rest of them have come in and they've tried to make this the linchpin that this is something's going on. They first brought in someone from the agency who you know once again when you're going on Newsmax and OAN and and Fox News, it's one thing. When you're being sworn in and you're under testimony. He came in and he was supposed to be the smoking gun that was going to release all this information. And he basically comes in and what ends up happening is that he basically, well, I, I, I didn't hear about it. I heard it secondhand, secondhand. I, I don't know. I can't attend to any of this being true or not. I, I heard some guy talking about some other guy doing something. And so I, I couldn't corroborate any of it. So that blew up in their face. Then Chuck Grassley released the document itself to try to say, oh, look at here, here's the smoking gun. But immediately people said, well, there's nothing here. There's no, this is an argument, but there's no validation. There's no backing it up. Just recently, I think it was last week, they had one of Hunter Biden's coworkers who was going to explain it all, going to explain it all, everything that's going on. And he comes in and says, no, they talked about, you know, weekend vacations and 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 the weather and and fishing and stuff like that. And the Republicans are so desperate to have something there that even though there is nothing there, there is now this thing that when the Bidens were talking about the weather, that was code word. Even though they don't even know what they were talking about, this is just a part of the testimony of this one former coworker. But there's like, so when they said 100 degrees, you know, that was shakedown China. You know, that's what they're, because they're so desperate. There's no there there in regards to these allegations. There's just no there there. And the thing is, is the reason why they're focusing on this and not the other stuff with Hunter Biden is that Hunter Biden stuff with his income taxes and the gun can't get Joe Biden. This is what this, this whole thing was the, the justification to go and get Joe Biden. See, Joe Biden was orchestrating Hunter Biden behind the scenes. And there's no, no nothing there. There's nothing there. And a reminder, this is Hunter Biden, a private citizen, not like Jared Kushner, who at one point worked in the White House. He was their 
guru on Middle East. How that all? It didn't do anything. Yeah. You know, this is from uh, Claire McCaskill broke down. Let's walk through what Jared Kushner did. He was put in to run a huge portfolio in a government where he had no experience running foreign policy in the Middle East process. He has no experience. What does he do? First, he becomes best buddies with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. He gets Trump to go to Saudi Arabia for his first trip, has the crown prince in the White House dining room. He does all that. And what happens the minute Trump leaves office, he starts for the first time a private equity fund. He goes over and asks the crown prince for $2 billion. And you know what the committee said that runs the sovereign wealth fund of Saudi Arabia? They said, this is a really bad idea. They did their due diligence and failed miserably in every test of due diligence. And management fees were excessive. They recommended against making a $2 billion investment. Of course, the crown pins came along, overruled them, and gave Jared Kushner $2 billion, which I believe was the payoff for the Trump administration to turn their head and ignore Saudi Arabia for murdering people. By contrast, McCaskill noted former Treasury Secretary Steve Munchen Similarly, pressed the Saudi government through his Trump connections to try to get an investment in his firm and got half as much money with far lower management fees. This is a huge scandal. So basically what she's pointing out is that, yeah, Munchen did it as well, but he didn't get nearly the money that Jared Kushner got, which once again, this looks like a major payoff by the Saudis. Well, no, it's not. It looks like the same Republicans who basically insisted that the Clinton Foundation, that anyone who gave money to the Clinton Foundation was actually laundering money to the Clintons because they couldn't even do that, that people couldn't make a donation to the Clinton Foundation without being nefarious. And by the way, they had full, full, four full investigations into it and could find no wrongdoing in anything the Clinton Foundation did. Fact. They did four into that one alone. Could not find anything that was impropriety. But here, you don't have a charitable group. You just have Jared Kushner grabbing $2 billion from the Saudi prince who just basically, once again, I personally think was paying off the Trump family after they turned their head after he was there murdering people and jammed $2 billion in his pocket for personal use and walked away. And yet, once again, nothing on Hunter Biden. Nothing about inappropriate foreign relations. We have a clear scandal with Jared Kushner and not a single damn Republican. Oh, I don't think there's anything to look at there. But, 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 but Hunter Biden. You see, is this, when you get, here's where the problem comes in is when you get to such outlandish standards, Jared Kushner is clearly guilty of something here. Holy God, is he guilty of something? It's clear. And yet no Republican wants to even look at that. Hunter Biden, in regards to being a criminal mastermind running Joe Biden's affairs and international things, there's no evidence there. But the Republicans are intent on turning that molehill into a mountain, and we're going to do everything in their power to insist, yeah, there was, even though everything they put forward has been a joke. I'll get back to this because there's more on this as well and the insanity of all this. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. By the way, just looking at that weather thing, they're expecting some hail in this. 
and it could be some bigger hail. So just keep that in mind. And it looks like a good portion of the metro area will probably see a little bit of rain showers this afternoon, so into the evening hours. So just be careful out there and and and, and uh, take uh, proper precautions. 952-946-6205. 952 952-946-6205. So you put por- forward positive information about something that the Republicans don't want to acknowledge as a positive, and they scream, no, he doesn't. They've gotten to the point where their double standard is so outrageously laughable. You know, Jared Kushner is basically jamming billions of dollars from the Saudis in his pocket, and that's just good investment. Meanwhile, um, and, and by the way, can I just say this about Jared Kushner? That was what his whole job was. He was brought into the White House not to solve Middle East peace, But he saw this as a cash cow and immediately started going to the oil-producing countries of the Middle East, the big wealthy ones, and basically snuggling up to them. And my gut feeling, like I said, in regards to that $2 billion from the Saudis that Kushner got, that was a family payoff for Trump turning his head and ignoring the the heinous crimes of the, the Saudi family, the Saudi princes. But once again, if you step back, it's just on one side, you have clear, undeniable problems that need to be looked at. On the other side, you have nothing which is turned into the crime of the century in their own minds. Here's where it gets ludicrous. Kaylee McKenney, of course, the former White House press secretary, who's just a freaking loon ball herself. She, um, she basically, on Thursday, she attacked Joe Biden culminating her outrage that her co-host that claims is saying it's not a big deal that the it's not a big deal that the president of the United States lies this is this is what she's saying now this is once again someone who worked in the Trump administration <laughs> I want this is someone in working in the Trump administration feigning outrage that it is that and a standard that their boss at no time, ever attempted to achieve truthfulness accusing another president that basically he's lying by the way who she has no proof that he did lie republicans and house speaker mccarthy to oversight chairman jim comer to judiciary chairman jim jordan and countless others have for most of the year been making baseless and unsubstantiated claims about biden and what they they and what they without any proof are calling the biden crime family um, but this is, uh, you know, it, it is, you know, uh, Kayla McKenney appeared to, on Fox news declaring when I watched the shocking Devin Archer testimony, what we doing? We learned a lot from that hearing. Anyone who's been following this did as well and playing not just Hunter Biden, but Joe Biden. There was nothing though. Actually, he didn't say anything like that. Not in the, the least, but that is just an outright lie. So here is a woman complaining about people lying when they're not lying. By basically making up a lie, who once again worked for the biggest lying president in the history of, of all time. Um, the Washington Post documented every one of Donald Trump's lies during his four years as president, concluding that during the time Donald Trump lied in four years, 30,573 times. 30,573 times, which once again, let's do Matt's math corner here. I did this once before, but I can't remember what the number was. Oh, all right, so uh, it's uh, 3,573 divided by four for four years in office. Um, 
I hit times. My bad here. So once again, three, zero, uh, five, seven, three, uh, divided by four, divided by 365 equals he told on average, on average, Donald Trump told 21 lies a day while as president of the United States. Once again, forgetting about the fact that she's you know trying to make up a lie here. Here is someone who worked in a White House with a president who didn't know how to do anything but lie. Who is the who is the poster child for lying? Who that if there was a Olympic world record for lying, Donald Trump would hold that record and no one would even get close. Not even like the the leaders of North Korea. He is truly the biggest liar that this country has ever had in any kind of executive office. George Santos is is a rookie next to this guy. He's a rookie. Trump lied all the time. And yet here she is talking about the injustice of having a president who lies. That is bizarro territory. Once again, ignoring the undeniable massive amount of lies from Trump while saying that Biden, who hasn't lied, she has no proof of him lying, is lying all the time. This is what I'm talking about. There is this this delusion that's out there. And I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the other story that I talked about earlier this week, which is about the religious side of the Republican Party which is now openly rejecting Jesus. Yes, Christians against Jesus. You can't make it up. You can't make it up. Uh, Moore is, this was Russell Moore, former top official for the Southern Baptist Convention, suggested that Trump had transformed the political landscape of the U.S. to the point where some Christian conservatives are openly denouncing the central doctrine of the religion they as being too weak and liberal for their liking. It's woke Jesus. Multiple pastors, this is more saying this, multiple pastors tell me essentially the same story about quoting the Sermon on the Mount, parenthetically in their preaching, turn the other cheek and have someone come up after saying, where did you get those liberal talking points there, Padre? By the way, and uh, um, uh, who's the guy that uh, you know, Joe, uh, a cup of Joe on the, on the morning on MSNBC? Um, oh, Patrick, can you, who is that? Uh, Joe on MSNBC in the morning. Joe uh, Scarborough. Thank you. Thank you. Joe Scarborough. This morning, he actually called this out. He says, I've been part of the Southern Baptist you know, church. I've got families. All of them say this. When you quote, especially the gospel of Matthew, when you hear a Republican today, Almost always, they're either quoting Romans, which was Paul's letter to the Romans, not Jesus. Man, once again, religious corner. You do or do do or don't do whatever it is you do or don't want to do. I'm Christian. Used to be Catholic, but I'm just Christian now, uh, and um, you know, and that's just that. Okay, so this is more just informational. If you uh, don't know in the Bible, the first four go- the gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the stories of Jesus. Uh, Jesus's birth, his his life on earth, his death, his resurrection, and then sending the disciples out. That's that is the teachings of Jesus. The rest of the books are included in there. Some of them are letters, uh, Thessalonians, Romans, stuff like this that they're out there. Um, 
there's also, of course, the Old Testament that's in there, a lot of it in there. If you are Christian, <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are supposed to be tantamount to who you are as a person. But what you're seeing now is this new Republican version of Christianity, which removes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I can't tell you the last time I saw a Republican quote a Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John story correctly. They've tried to quote them, or they've only cut off half of it, which makes their argument sound better, but they'll leave out like second halves of sentences and stuff, which basically condones them. Gospel of Matthew, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm a little partial myself, but the Gospel of Matthew, feed the hungry, take care of the sick, welcome in strangers from strange lands. Those are direct teachings from Jesus. And the Republicans today, where'd you get that liberal woke talk there? Well, it was Jesus. You need to get Jesus out of Christianity. Think about that for a second. That is where the Republicans are at today. Now, there's a lot of people that have thrown out the whole argument. When you, you factor all four of the things I've just put out there, the, the fact that the you can't say anything positive about something that the Republicans are determined to hate because they'll just scream, that is that. that the fact that they, you, you get these, the, the double standards that exist, whether that's holding someone accountable, that the Republicans are the, 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 the most, in, in many cases, the most corrupt and, and outrageous people on the planet, but yet they ignore them and only focus on you know, what people haven't done and act like, yeah, we know what really happened. Or they they say that 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 Joe Biden is lying when they have no proof that he's lying as that person worked for Donald freaking Trump who lied 21 times a day on average. 21 times. But then you get into this where their allegiance to Trump is so tantamount that they get to this religion has to change. Christianity has to change. You have to get rid of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And shame on you, pastors and preachers and, and, and you congressional leaders. Shame on you for getting rid of those four books of the Bible. And not the minute someone comes at you, it's like, okay, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to give you some reading from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You need to go revisit this. No, many of these religious leaders are gladly running away from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because they they're playing they they made a decision years ago that Republican talking points were going to be the ultimate thing that they preached from the pulpit, and now that you have someone like Trump who was able to manipulate the system to turn Republican into Trump, now it's blowing up in your face. Your own problem, man. You wonder why there are fewer and fewer cabooses in the pews. That's because of what you're doing to that religion. But it still is pretty dang brazen for a Republican to sit there and say, you know what, we're going to change Christianity because I want it to work with Trump ideals. So you can marry three women. <laughs> um, a lot of people say cult. A lot of people say cult that that this age of Trump that this is a cult this is a this is a uh, yeah it's it, it's a dangerous precedent it's a dangerous ideal that is being put out there that this is a cult it, it's not a cult we are on the verge of this going from cult because when you look at cults 
what do cults, a lot of the most bizarre and horrible cases, the Jim Jones or, or the, the guy with the sneakers out there, they end up just basically killing themselves. They, you know, whether that's the leader killing them or they all commit suicide, that's not what's going on here. They're basically trying to say it's time for us to, with made up realities, go fight a war for a country that doesn't even freaking exist. Many of them honestly think the vast majority of people support Donald Trump. They're lunatics. And when you get to mob rule, that is what, what that's the pitchforks and torches, or in this case, AR-15s. And you're getting more and more of these people who are starting to say civil war, not because they have actual legitimate gripes, but because they have sold out their reality soul for basically the narrative they want to believe is true. Trump never lied. Biden always lies. Neither one of those things is true. Trump lied all the time. Biden might have told a few, but he's not definitely not lying here where they're all accusing him of lying. Hunter Biden is some criminal mastermind. No, he wasn't. Jared Kushner was, but that's wholesome American hard work right there. Minnesota has good unemployment numbers, has, has, has restaurants in the city, has 1% inflation. It's the lowest in the country. No, it doesn't because they just can't deal with that reality that they're wrong. And even it's now permeated the Christian churches to where the churches now are no longer can you talk about that love, peace, and compassion. You got to talk about how Jesus hated drag queens. And here we are. We have driven, the Republican Party has driven this car to the edge of the cliff at 100 miles an hour. And I don't know how the hell they're going to stop now. I don't know how they're going to stop. I honestly am very concerned that the next step is going to be a bunch of people who talk about the intolerant left starting to open fire on left-leaning targets, wherever they may be. Or, and even Republicans who are just not out there demanding that Trump be put on Mount Rushmore. It's mob rule taking over reality. And dang it, it's, you know, can I tell the media in this state, for God's sakes, stop acting like this is some sort of both sides. No, it's not. And you're going to have, you know, I, I get tired of the way the media, well, someone opened, opened fire on this group of leftist protesters, but you know what? They were kind of asking for it. You know, like that's a valid option. Republicans, I think your party is too far gone. And the reality is they only believe Trump. They're out there screaming about inflation and the cost of things as they send him another $1,000 and buy another 40 flags for their front yard. They can't see that they are themselves the, 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 the problem with this country and, and with their own reality. Because if they admit then they're wrong, then they have to do the thing that terrifies most right-wing people in this country today. Look in the mirror and say, I'm making mistakes. I'm screwing up my life. How do I fix that? And they are desperate, desperate to be proven that they're not the fools that they think that, that, that they really are.
Just an observation, folks. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll come back. We'll get an update on the weather really quick, and then uh, we'll get some music and go in the week. Well, Pink was in town yesterday, so we're going to do a little Pink going out for today. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Uh, keeping an eye, once again, on the weather right now. Patrick, you said we had the initial uh, the thunderstorm warning. This was for northern Hennepin, southern Ramsey County, or southern Anoka County, southern Anoka County. Uh, that one, is, uh, I think, is still going on, but there's another one that we're watching right now? Yes, there's a severe thunderstorm warning for eastern Wright County and western Hennepin County. This includes a large part of the eastern Lake Minnetonka area kind of along Highway 12 as you head out on the west side. And that's coming through. I will say this. This is a little bit of a concern. Just to keep this in mind as you're heading on the roads, um, they've actually updated the hail size to expect with the storm. Now up to one, one and a half inch hail uh, is you know is possible with the storm. So be careful, get home, drive safe, all that good stuff. All right. Uh, it is a, uh, a Friday. Uh, I do like my Fridays. Uh, Pink was in town by all accounts. It was an exceptional show last night over at Target Field. Uh, here's Trust Fall from her taking us out this weekend. Native Roots Radio, I'm awake. That's coming up here in the next uh, hour. Make sure you stick around for that. We are back on a Monday. Till then, see ya. We see through bloodshot Just too scared to fight